So when you talk about performance-enhancing drugs, it's kind of hard not to talk about supplements and ergogenic aids. And it's been estimated that approximately $3 billion at a minimum is spent annually by Americans in the United States just on supplement products alone. Um, sometimes you'll see the term nutraceutical. Basically, this term just is a term used to describe any kind of dietary or supplemental um, aid used for just general health habits or health benefits. Um, so you might see that term interchangeably used. Uh, in 1994, there was the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, which basically stated that any company can promote a natural substance with claims of improved function and health so long as they doesn't claim to affect the disease process. In other words, a supplement can't cure something. It can't be considered a treatment for something. It's just there to promote health. Um, it also, though, gave Americans rather unrestricted access to a lot of these supplements and ergogenic aids and whatnot. Um, another term that you'll see used a lot of the time with these products is the term natural. And, oh, it's all natural ingredients or it's a natural product or it's naturally occurring. But what what does that really mean at the end of the day? And there's no legal um, definition of what that term means in the context of supplements. So we've got to be very cautious about what that term means. And really, we need to make sure that the consumer isn't buying into something that's that could be dangerous, even though it's it's perceived as natural, just because something is listed as natural, doesn't mean it's safe. Cyanide is a naturally occurring substance out in in nature, it doesn't mean that it's safe for humans. On the flip side, things like hydrogenated oils or high fructose corn syrup, which are not natural, those are man-made, but they are very healthy, not very healthy, but they are they are safe to consume in, in appropriate quantities. So the term natural doesn't really mean much of anything. Uh, it's just a marketing spin that a lot of these companies will put out there. Um, there's several risk factors that we need to discuss when it comes to supplements and ergogenic aids. Um, the first one is the supplemental purity. So what's stated on the label as far as the ingredients are concerned for any given substance, any given supplement, rather not substance, but supplement, does not mean that what's on the label is in the product itself. There's no rules, there's no regulations, there's no laws that state that what is on the label of a bottle of a supplement has got to be what's in the bottle itself or in the product itself. So when you look at a supplement or how do you know something is a supplement, when you pick up a bottle or a jar or whatever it may be um, of any kind of food product that you get from, say, the grocery store, more, most of the time it's going to say nutrition facts on the back of it with the nutrition label, the number of calories, the servings, fats, grams of carbs, so on and so forth. Um, if it's a supplement, meaning it's not been reviewed by the FDA, it will say supplement facts and list out what it's supposedly claiming as the ingredients of the of the product itself. So that's how you one know what a supplement is versus just an actual food product. Food products have to be tested and verified through the FDA's processes. Supplements do not. So a supplement does not have to have in the bottle or in the container what's actually listed and stated on the product itself. That's very dangerous. It could be that the products themselves may actually contain the ingredients that it lists, but maybe not in the quantities that it lists at. There could be high levels of something that be, could be considered toxic if someone accidentally takes four pills instead of two pills or one pill instead or two pills instead of one pill, so on and so forth. 
Um, there's also toxicity that we worry about. So people like children or with um, in, in a immature metabolic or physiological systems, adolescents, uh, even adults can be uh, susceptible to having toxicity from some of these supplements and the quantities or the purities that they're being presented as. Again, I cannot stress this enough. What is on the label does not mean that that is what is in the product itself. Something else you might see is something coined as quote unquote proprietary blends. Proprietary blends are, are just that. They're kind of like a home recipe for something. So a company doesn't have to disclose what their proprietary blend is. It just means that they've created some concoction that will supposedly perform a health-related function. Um, supplements can absolutely interact with, with um, other entities just like drugs can. So that can include foods, medications, other supplements, so on and so forth. So give you an example. Anticoagulative drugs. Um, blood thinners like aspirin can actually have a very synergistic effect when it's paired with garlic supplements, for example. Uh, synergistic meaning it's got an extremely powerful reaction to the two. Uh, ginseng also reacts very much with anticoagulative drugs in the um, opposite effect in that they both reduce clotting then, or enhance the clotting, I guess, rather. Kava kava, uh, when mixed with a CNS depressant, um, exacerbate that depression of CNS. So you could make someone very drowsy or incoherent, rather altered mental state from from that combination. Uh, and then the last risk factor that needs to be noted is supplemental contamination. Again, what's on the label does not have to match what's in the bottle. And so what's the purity process of manufacturing these products? Um, Chemicals could be can be used or, or extracted from sources, but if they're not purified or, or processed in an appropriate and safe fashion, they can be dangerous to the consumer. So what's the quality control process that's occurring with these products? Um, so keeping all of that in mind, some of the natural, quote unquote natural, ergogenic aids out there that you'd see very commonly um, in the sporting world, um, sports drinks can be one for sure. So I'm not talking about like your Gatorades, for example, because if you get, if you look at the label, those are going to say nutrition facts. Those have been verified by the uh, FDA, but there's some of those crazy energy drinks out there, whatnot, um, that can have um, the claim that they can enhance electrolytes uh, and, re and enhance the rehydration process, loss during exercise or, or whatever it may be. But um, again, sticking with the food-based products, those nutrition facts-based products like your Gatorades, your Powerades, even Pedialytes if necessary, would be your best bet for that. Um, because really what makes up a sports drink, it's carbohydrates, like a sugar, and the electrolytes. And we need to have those in appropriate ratios. Otherwise, the body doesn't really know what to do with them. Um, and then end up just wasting it. Uh, but going back to energy drinks, uh, these are marketed as quote-unquote energy boosters, right? Um, and they can have high levels of stimulants like caffeine or taurine or guarana. Uh, guarana and taurine basically are just different derivatives of caffeine. Um, they do have a diuretic effect, uh, especially when they have these, these uh, caffeine and caffeine derivatives, um, which can make drug testing kind of questionable if they spike and have high amounts of caffeine in their system and, it, and it's tested in a drug test, that can actually, they may not have anything 
that's quote unquote banned in their system, but if they have quantities of say high levels of caffeine, that would trigger a positive de- drug testing result because it's a masking agent, which is for all intents and purposes still a positive for just about every single drug testing entity out there, the NCAA, uh, WADA, USADA, um, so on and so forth. And again, we talk about these energy drinks there's still that question of purity, toxicity, contamination, drug interactions that uh, we need to make sure we can't um, necessarily guarantee that that they're safe or, or appropriate for consume con- consumption. Uh, some of these energy drinks also have a rather uh, laxative type property to them. Again, it's a stimulant. Uh, and we know that if you could drink a lot of coffee, for example, it can help with uh, with uh, stimulating the GI tract. Um, there's different dietary techniques too out there that can be considered kind of in performance enhancing or, or, um, uh, part of this natural or ergogenic supplementation and kind of culture. So like carbohydrate loading, for example, we've all heard of this where the idea is that you're completely depleting or not completely cause you can't ever truly completely deplete carbohydrate loads, but depleting as much as possible carbohydrate stores in say muscles like glycogen. Um, and then what we do is like maybe the night before a big race, like a marathon, we consume a large quantity of carbohydrates, um, in order to, in theory, quote unquote, super saturate the system with these carbohydrates. Cause we know that carbohydrates in the sense of say a marathon runner, um, provides the fuel to, to run uh, a marathon in with, uh, glycolysis and, and, all that kind of stuff. So there's there's also these dietary techniques out there. Keto could be another one um, that could be used for performance enhancing in the sense that it, it depletes um, carbohydrates for things like that. So um, vitamins and minerals, we have all seen, we've probably all taken at some point like a multivitamin. We don't really think much of it. We consider them to be safe. We don't bat an eye. But they are still supplements at the end of the day. And I don't care if they are a name brand that you have used for years, a generic brand sold at your favorite grocery store. I don't care. They are still not regulated by the FDA. And so they still could, in theory, cause a patient to test positive on a drug test or have negative interactions with other drugs or foods or whatever it may be. The other side of it, too, is if you have a bottle of... of, uh, a multivitamin laying around, or you can do a quick Google search for a, a label of a bottle of multivitamins, you're going to see that there's many of these of these nutrients, whether they're vitamins or minerals in these multivitamin, multimineral supplements have at or well beyond the daily recommended limits for those intakes. So also in theory, over time, you could have toxicity poisoning from some of these supplements. Um, so for example, um, vitamin D, we sh- we get the majority of our vitamin D from food and then we can synthesize the rest of it from 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 the sun from radiation um now granted most of us aren't outside enough or don't have enough skin exposed outside enough during the course of our day on a routine basis to absorb enough sunlight to convert that into vitamin D so it is not uncommon to see in sport the supplementation of vitamin D now Loading or um, supplementing vitamin D, though, is not just a here, take this pill and go on your merry way. It's a process. You need to get baseline lab testing. How much vitamin D do they already have? 
um, approximately 50,000 IUs or international units is considered to be like a loading dose. And we usually do that for about once a week for about 12 weeks for patients who um, are severely deficient in vitamin D. And then we'll switch them to a maintenance dose, which is about two to 3,000 IUs daily. Um, so long as they're not drastically changing their diet or their sun exposure where we could accidentally spike or, or cause a, um, a uh, toxicity type event. And again, they're going to have routine blood work over the course of that to make sure that we're not ca causing like what we would call hypervitaminosis D. Um, vitamin D is fat soluble. So we want to make sure that it's taken with foods that are going to help aid that absorption, which would be foods that contain some fat. Um, another um, example, uh, mineral zinc. Zinc helps with cellular metabolism and in theory helps with body weight reduction, anorexia, fatigue, decreasing endurance and capabilities. But zinc competes with calcium. And so we shouldn't be recommending if someone's truly deficient in zinc then we shouldn't be recommending that they take zinc with calcium at the same time. So that could be a calcium supplement. It could be foods heavy in calcium like your dairies, or it could be a multivitamin, multimineral supplement. Um, another one that you'll see, amino acids. Well, we know that amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. They are both essential and non-essential. Non-essential are, are amino acids that our body can manufacture or produce our cells endogenously. So alanine, um, aspartic acid, glutamic acid, arginine, cysteine, glutamine, um, glycine, there's several more. Uh, but then we have the essential amino acids or the ones that we need to exogenously source from our foods like histamine, isoleucine, leucine, lysine. Um, and so these are the ones that you'll see a lot of the time on the labels of supplements, um, the BCAAs or, or whatever it may be. Um, and so in theory, what happens is you know, you're taking these amino acids and you're, you're super saturating the system so the body can create its own protein to help supplement and build uh, muscles. But what we've seen though is that really at the end of the day, there's been no surmountable amount of evidence in the research to say that amino acids have some kind of ergogenic effect on performance. They really just help with building proteins. Um, and then speaking of proteins, whey protein. Uh, and we know that whey protein is just that. It's a protein and it's derived from milk-based products. Um, and the reason we really like whey is because it has a high percentage of these branched chain amino acids. Um, it's very bioavailable. So the body likes it. It's easy to break down. It's easy to use and it's very soluble. It's very palatable. Um, People generally tend to tolerate it from a gastrointestinal perspective a lot better than, say, like a casein protein or something like that. Um, but there is this potential of having a higher ability to cause insulin secretions and thus have this enhanced anabolic effect um, associated with this protein synthesis. So that's another potential plus for performance enhancing. Um and then, you know, it's again, it's very palatable. It comes in lots of different flavors um, and forms and, and people tend to have their favorite brands and that's great, fine and dandy. But again, at the end of the day, it's a supplement and we can't guarantee the purity of it. Um, the last performance enhancing type of behavior I want to talk about is um, uh, uh, blood doping. Um, and this isn't necessarily a ergogenic supplement, obviously, but it's obviously a behavior where we can extract um, blood from the human body or from, from the, from the patient, the target, um, 
you know, during an intense part or a peaking of part of their training session, we draw the blood out and we save it. We may mix it with some anticoagulant type of drugs so that the, the blood doesn't coagulate in, say, a plastic bag um, that we would use. And then ideally right before competition, we can actually infuse that blood back into the patient. And so in theory, they've got more blood in their body, which means more oxygen going to tissues, which means better performance. Um, and this is absolutely banned by just about every single organization under the sun as far as competition is concerned. There's not really any supplementation that's gone with it um, by and large, but occasionally you'll see somebody who might do something where they are supplementing in addition to this. Um, but this is dangerous for lots of reasons. Um, one, you're introducing, you're increasing blood volume, which in theory could potentially cause things like a, a PE or a DVT. Um, and two, you are um, increasing the volume of the blood. So things like hypertension could potentially be a, a potential issue there. Uh, and last but not least, I want to talk just really briefly about erythropoietin alpha or EPO. Um, and EPO basically sends a signal to the body saying that it needs to produce more red blood cells. Um, and again, more red blood cells means more oxygen to tissues, which then in theory means more um, or increased performance, uh, positive performance. There are legal prescription medications that do this as a side effect um, that people will obtain um, under false pretenses, meaning they'll go in to get a prescription for some of these drugs for the prescribed intended reasons, but really with the underlying motive that I want these for the side effects of this of this EPO blood doping almost kind of effect. Um, but again, this massive influx of red blood cells can cause a lot of stress in cardiac tissues, can lead to heart failure, um, hypertension, hypertensive crises, so on and so forth. So we really want to be cautious about a lot of these things. I'm not saying that supplements are a, a, a no-go, but for most of our patients who are, who are being supervised under WADA, USADA, the NCAA, uh, NAIA, these are a big no-no. And even if there's no intention or of doing it or they accidentally take it because they thought it was safe or they thought it was something different, it doesn't matter. A test, a positive is a positive uh, and there's really no way of, of um, kind of, of getting your way out of it. You, are, you have to inform your consumers, in this case your patients, of the risks of taking these supplements.